Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'm Bradley and I am joined by Stu. Uh, no piffy intro this time, so how are you doing? Been a challenging week, but not too bad a week. So I'm being made redundant at the end of July, as, as I've already mentioned on the show. So there's a lot of life change going on there, and I've been looking around, tidying up my current job and looking for new stuff, and I applied for one yesterday. So yeah, it's obviously a challenging time and brings new stresses, but at the same time, there's just a little bit of excitement creeping in about the thought of a new career, which is nice to have. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird time to be looking for a job, but also knowing that you're going into possible new careers on a new horizon and things are going to be different from what it ever was anyway. So, yeah, I, I can see where the excitement along with trepidation would come from. Yeah. Um, but as usual, we do talk video games, so we'll start again with you. Have we been playing something other than Halo? Ha, I have. But I'm going to start with Halo. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so I finished it off, and I thought it was fantastic. So I, it, just very briefly, I think it's as good as Reach, if not better. So come at me, bro. You know, <laughs> it's just unpopular opinion number one. But I think it's probably equal to Halo 3 in the single-player campaign and equal to Reach, possibly even better. So that's just how I feel. And I think 343... We've done two Halo games versus Bungie's four. I enjoyed four, although I can see why people didn't. And five, I think, is is an excellent single-player game. So, again, come at me, bro, leaving it at that. <laughs> Other than that, I've been playing um, Gears Tactics. I managed to jump back on that after completing a few games for review and still really enjoying that. It gives you a little bit of a mental workout, but still feels like an action game. So, yeah, really enjoying that as well. What have you been playing? No, that sounds good. Um... I've been playing two, extri- two, two games on either end of the scale, really. And I'll start off with Burnout Paradise, which is, what now, a decade old, 12 years old, the original game, and has seen yeah. various remasters, re-releases, Game of the Year editions across everything. It's now on Switch. Do you know what? Yeah, that's, that's held up really well as a game, and the Switch port is absolutely excellent. But obviously, as we know, there is a little bit of controversy around the Switch release, and that is to do with the pricing. I'm not going to defend EA here, but I'm going to see it from their point of view. Obviously, making a Switch port of games isn't just a case of pressing a button and here's your port. Work needs to go into it. So I get from their point of view that they need to make sure they make money back from it. So they've probably done the numbers, worked out what a minimum is, and then obviously they want to maximise their profits. So, but the £45 that you can get it for digitally is it is too much for a game that's that old, and you can get remastered for less than £5 if you t- even take 10 seconds to look around. Ooh, um, before... It, it is. Yeah. But, Sorry to jump in, but... No, go for it. If, before you mention the price... I, I didn't know how much it was, and I had in mind 19.99. So to hear 45, I think that's that sounds ex- exceptionally sky high to me. Yeah. So when you consider you can get the Bioshock Remaster Collection for about that price for all three games, or you can buy the games individually for 16 pound each, or via the uh, Nintendo eShop, 
the same with the Borderlands collection. You can get those individually at slightly smaller prices or the whole bundle for about the £45 mark. This does seem really expensive. It's, I mean, it's a big game. Like, there's no doubt it. there's many hours of entertainment there. But yeah, £45 is ludicrous. And it is a shame because playing it again on the go has been an absolute joy. I forgot how much I enjoyed that game. And I know people didn't, a lot of people didn't like the deviation from the old way of doing Burnout to this open world style. But going back to it, it's just so much fun to play. It's got all the licensed tracks in it. Uh, there may be a couple missing, I couldn't tell you, but it just seems like it's got all the licensed tracks. It looks really good in handheld. It's uh, absolutely fine in docked as well. I don't think I've had any moments where I've not been able to see where I'm going. And when you consider that the last handheld Burnout I played was probably like Burnout Legends on the PSP, then it's come up, we've come a long way. We have come such a long way. It's a full console release on, the, on a handheld. And it is just so good. But that price is a sticking point. 20 quid, £25 even would have been the sweet spot. They would have sold bucket loads of that game at 25 quid. 45, even as someone who is really enjoying their time with it, I can't say to people, go and get it. My advice is wait for a sale. Mm. I always want to do it. Go on. Sorry, I was going to be my podcast for interrupting by the sounds of it. But, no, um, no it. <laughs> I was just going to say, when they normally price things that high, it's to tempt the whales, you know, W-H-A-L-E-S, to buy the game, you know, break the back of the investment that the publisher has put into it, which, to be honest, I can't see being that big for a 10-year-old game. So to price it, but, you know, when anyone who was probably interested has picked it up on, well, several generations of consoles or PC by now, that price seems particularly egregious. It's like, you know, what were they actually thinking? Do they think that they will sell enough at that price to not spoil the market? I mean, what do you think, as a marketing standpoint, what do you think about it? I honestly don't know what, what the idea was behind it, uh, because I can only see a remaster of a game such as Burnout is only going to get diminishing returns with every subsequent release. Um, you're only going to get the hardcore fans who are going to want to jump straight in whatever the price on whatever system and beyond quadruple drip now I don't know how many releases there have been so and they're going to be a very small amount there's not going to be enough numbers that they can go at £45 a time it's worth it just to get those initial numbers I, I just can't see it so I really don't know what their thinking was and at £45 the message that said and the reaction to it i don't think you're going to get many newcomers to the title because of the negative press around the pricing so uh, you're not going to get those i i really really don't know and it's a shame because it is such a good pull as well everything about it is absolutely spot on mm. but that price just it just doesn't do it it just feels like ea of really reveling in the role of being you know the the evil genius except without <laughs> the genius part Definitely. Yeah, I, it's it's almost as if they announced, I don't know, like a, let's say, Hollow Knight remaster and said it was going to be 30 quid. Who would buy it? But yeah, no, it's like 45 quid. And you think, uh, like, if I was in the marketing department for them and I had this game, which is a great game, it still looks really good today, even if you don't do any remaster on it. 
and you just port it with whatever the equivalent highest PC settings were at the time. And you said, okay, well, we've got nothing else coming in this franchise, 20 quid, and then we'll grab all the people who've got nostalgia for it. Or you could go, we're going to reboot this franchise and we're going to tease that there's a burnout, I don't know, floor slam, (laughs) pedal pedal metal uh, coming out in a year's time. And we'll charge 30 quid for it because there's going to be an upsurge in interest. So I can see those scenarios working, but the one that we're in, no, I don't see that working. I think that'll be on sale really soon, I think. Oh, yeah. And what's a shame? But what's going to be really interesting, actually, it's not a shame. Is they've announced a remaster of um, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit, which is, everyone knows, the best Need for Speed game. And that is getting a remaster on Switch, PS4, Xbox One, I'd say most likely probably coming to um, Xbox Series X and PS5 at some point as well. Now, what's going to be interesting there is the pricing around that one. Um, Have they just decided with uh, Burnout to just take advantage of the switch tax and get away with it there? Or is this testing the waters for how they want to price the likes of um, Hot Pursuit and further remasters? Because I can't see the Xbox and PlayStation only crowds going in for a 45 to 50 pound remaster of Hot Pursuit if it's only what the Burnout Paradise remaster is, which is just, it looks a lot nicer, runs the same, just looks a bit nicer. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that and how much more expensive the Switch version is compared to the console versions. That's a really good point. I think that is yeah, really interesting to see where it ends up. And also my final thought on it is I, I bet you they're thinking we're going to scrape as much from the lockdown boredom situation as we can for, for Switch releases before you know, things get back to quote-unquote normal. Yeah, and people are going to have less money after lockdown, bizarrely enough. To uh, uh, the, the, Yeah, the boredom's not going to be there. Uh, now, whether that's now because we've been led into that or whether that's after a second spike and back end of next year or whatever, I don't know. But yeah, the money's going to dry up for people. The boredom's going to change. It's not going to be there because there's going to be activities to do. And games aren't going to be as in demand i don't think for the non-gaming public but on the flip side of all that i've also been playing a game that i don't want to speak too much about um so i'm i'm gonna try and avoid all story-based stuff but i've been playing the almost gone on nintendo switch and that's also available on android and other systems as well and that is a very minimalist point and click adventure where you are presented with loads of little rooms and areas that are presented like almost dioramas. And it's a story about love, loss, uh, mortality, and mental health. And it's told in a, a very interesting way where the story just unravels as you go. And I don't want to go into the story at all because I think people need to go in blind to this game to get the most out of it. But it left me in tears at points especially around the mental health stuff. But yeah, you kind of work your way through a series of different diorama-style dior- rooms. You get your usual, Here, here's a something you must solve. Now you need to find a couple of clues, pick up a couple of items maybe to solve that clue and move the story on. And what I found I really liked about it with the minimalist style was a lot of point-and-click adventures I get really confused in. I get completely lost, especially when they have this idea of here's this really 
obtuse way of solving something, but it needs to be that damn specific that if you miss something that far in, you're going to have to go back through it to do it, to get the right item. Uh, and that. I, they've always put me off or they've just been so mundane. I just can't get the story, just doesn't sink in. So with this, it's quite clear what you need to do. The small rooms make it that you can concentrate on one thing at a time and it allows the story to breathe and to sink in because you're not being overwhelmed at any point. And it's just an utter joy to play. It's fairly short, just a few hours long, but boy, will it leave a mark. That sounds good. Yeah, generally not my kind of thing, but I mean, that particular style, and I've seen what the game is like, does intrigue me. Um, I'll add it to the got-to-play pile that is now several hundred feet deep. Yeah, and I will say I'm I'm not a point and click player, but yeah, this this really held me. This is this is special. Cool. I've also been playing um, West of Dead this week on Game Pass. Right. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be reviewing that one, so I won't go into it in too much depth. But uh, you know, it's like a a roguelike. Uh, it's it's very particular. So it's a roguelike. It's set in the Wild West, but a purgatory version of the Wild West. And it's voiced by Ron Perlman, who played Hellboy in two films. And it's very Hellboy style. So Mike Mignola, the guy who did the comic, it looks exactly the same as that. And you could even reskin a lot of it and uh, call it a Hellboy game. Yeah. But what you're basically doing is wandering from room to room in purgatory that are styled after, you know, Wild West settings and shooting people in the face. And it's kind of weird. It's isometric. And you pick up weapons and they're gradual iterative improvements on the weapons that you have. And they're just like six shooters, shotguns, rifles. And I'm undecided as to whether it's a good game or not, which is unusual for me because normally I make up my mind really quickly for good or ill. I'm still on the fence because it does lots of things right. And it does lots of things, maybe not wrong, but in a way it's a, a little bit misjudged or even mediocre so it's it's the balance between the moment to moment action which is surprisingly slow paced and considered and it's more about sort of tactics and positioning and sort of slow reloads and making sure that you're in proper cover than it is wham bam blasting away but at the same time that sort of scaling up of your power so that you feel more accomplished is very, very slow, which is a, is a little, you know, it's, a, it's an aspect of roguelikes anyway. But even in, by the standards of roguelikes, you're not, you do not progress very quickly. So I must have played about six hours worth and I've not had anything that makes me feel uh, like I have the upper hand even at this point. So it's reasonably punishing and difficult that's not an off-putting thing for me, but I'm I'm still unconvinced on the amount of variety the game's got. So at the moment, I'm, yeah, it needs a few more hours putting in, and I'm on the fence. But it's got lots of good stuff. If you've got access to it on Game Pass, definitely give it a go. I'm not sure whether I'd advise paying for it outright yet. Well, we'll find out in the review. So the one question I've got in a lot of the marketing on the build-up to it, how much does it become Ron Pelman the game? Because that was a lot of the marketing was, hey, we've got Ron Pelman voicing, voicing this game. But I wasn't actually sure what the game was. All I knew is it was Ron Pelman. 
No, it's really good. It's really well done. Uh, so he just comes out with the odd pithy comment at an appropriate time. Normally when in a non-action, there's, I don't think he ever speaks during action or during the action sections. It's normally at the breathing points where you do an upgrade or you get a collectible or you're just starting the mission. And he's so good at what he does that is a really good inclusion. And it's kind of the mirror opposite of the kind of, we've got Nolan North, he's going to be chatting incessantly. And to, go, to bring back to Halo, it's got uh, what's that guy's name? The one from uh, Firefly and oh, uh, Nathan Dillon, yeah, Castle, yeah, that guy. And every opportunity they get to like have him come up with some sarcastic or quick. Or if you're going to do it properly, Johnny from Two Guys, a girl with a pizza place, right? Fair play. No <laughs> idea what that is, but I'll go with it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, we, it's much more restrained from that. So I can I, I can understand why they put it front and center in marketing, but actually, it's it only helps with the game. It gives it a really good Wild West debased underground atmosphere. That's really good. Yeah. No, that's good because I mean the one thing I thought it was going to have a lot of was um, the constant talking that you got in. I, I think only one game has ever really got this really spot on. The talking you got in Shadow Bastion. of the Damned. Oh, I thought you were going to say Bastion. No, no, no. Bastion's just pure narrative. Um, yeah. So that's different. Um, but uh, Shadow of the Damned does one-liners and character commentary really, really well. I don't think any game's ever got close to it in doing it that well where it doesn't just become annoying. Others have tried it and it's not worked to, to that level before. Um, so that was always going to be my fear when someone goes, hey, we've got Ron Pellman, that it was going to just be constant quips from Ron Pellman. And unless the writing's right or the game suits it, it doesn't work. So it's good to know that they've not just made this based around Ron Pellman's voice. That, that's, that, yeah. that makes me more eager to want to try it. Yeah, yeah, definitely give it a go. And also, you know, the writing is very sparse. He's, he's not, as I say, he's not in it very much really at all but enough to give you know have some impact and presence and the writing that the lines of dialogue he uses are, are good are very appropriate and it's you know deadwood if it was in hell kind of thing so yeah. fair enough um so it's good to see adam from beauty and the beast getting in now i'm going back with my old references even further <laughs> now oh god yeah i only watched about three of them but they were yeah they were actually surprisingly good I, I was on. I love. I love that. I actually really love that beauty of the beast. The gritty reimagining of beauty of the beast. We lived, yeah. He lived in the sewers, didn't he? In that, if yeah. I remember correctly, yeah. But yeah, no, and and Linda Hamilton as well. It's just bizarre, but good. Yeah, she should have had a bigger career. Anyway, that's completely by the by. <laughs> well, she saved. She saved the world at one point, so you can't get a much bigger career than that. Yeah, and California in uh, Dante's Peak. Of course, yeah. So, you know, she, she's done okay for herself, but she doesn't get the recognition she deserves. Agreed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's really it. I mean, I've been playing a few other odds and ends, but nothing really worth mentioning. It's a lot of repeats of games I've been playing previously. Although I've just been sent um, Superliminal um, to review and I am going to be all over that one. So that, we'll talk about that one next week. So, yeah, that's it for games. And I suppose we lead on into mental health chat. So, just a trigger warning. I'm going to be talking a little bit about sport. This past week, Liverpool won the league title for the first time in 30 years. And the emotion I felt over the past 
few months regards to I, I thought I wasn't going to see this happen. I thought uh, the coronavirus, if it was going to stop it happening, I've been waiting 30 years for this moment, gone through all kinds of hell, watching Liverpool play, get close, fail miserably, break all kinds of records, but still finish second and all kinds. So the moment came this, this week where Liverpool won their game and Manchester City lost to Chelsea. And the outpouring of emotion from myself was just, I, I couldn't contain it. it I, the, the, I just felt so good. I cried tears of joy. Um, I celebrated with my family and just, yeah, just soaked it all in. And it, made, it got me to thinking, sport is often derided by a lot of people who don't understand sport as something that mouth breathers go and watch and it causes fights and what's the point it's just a game and all kinds of other things around it but I was able to share a moment with my family with other people who have supported the club for for 40, 50, 60 years, other people who have never seen Liverpool with a title before and are, are still new to it and it was. It just brought this real sense of togetherness in a time where we are all so separate at the moment. And I know up in Liverpool, a load of loads and loads and loads of people all gathered when they shouldn't have. There were a few idiots around, such as the idiot that decided to fire fireworks at the live building. And there were some issues. And I'm not condoning that at all. But the overall, you could sense the emotion. That was being that was coming out because of this and what it means to the city and anyone who that follows Liverpool and someone who's lived in Liverpool as well. I know just how much football means to that city. You know, there's two things about Liverpool that you can't mention the city without thinking about. One is football, and the other is music. They are the two main things of that city, and you could just sense just what it meant. And to me. It gave me just the biggest boost that I've had in a number of weeks. I felt so good about myself being able to watch this happen. The emotion of, you know, the Chelsea game finishing on 96 minutes and what that that number represents to the city of Liverpool and Liverpool fans especially. And yeah, I just felt so good for about 48 hours. Every bit of music I listened to was just joyful. It didn't matter what the song was. It just felt good. Hey, boy, the, the role of things like sport is just amazing. And I don't think it gets enough credit at times, uh, just what that can bring somebody in times of despair. Yeah, there's so much I could say positively about Liverpool. Uh, I live about 15 miles away. It's one of those places that is completely unique. I mean, gather that you can gather that just from the fact that even though I'm comparatively close to it, I don't sound anything like somebody from Liverpool. Whereas if you were near a, a, like Leeds, for example, you'd sound like you were from Leeds, even if you were 15 miles away. Yeah, And it's completely unique to itself. Uh, I love that city. It's fantastic. The people are, are welcoming and friendly. And they've been through so much. I mean, when I went there as a kid, it was a very, you know, very run-down place. They've had a lot of European money. And they've had a lot of resolve to get past the Thatcher era. And, you know, I'm trying to condense like 30 years of history into a couple <laughs> of sentences, but 
um, uh, you know, it was one of the the leading things that demonstrated to me how important um, being part of the European Union was. And, you know, the Liverpool people have, have thrived since then, since that injection of, of uh, cash and support, but have always been massive, passionate fans. They were determined to be, uh, you know, to recover from the likes of Hillsborough and not, and not have it define them, but also to seek justice and for sport to be a positive thing in, in the community forever. And they've succeeded with that. And to have such a fantastic manager, I think everybody who isn't even into the sport appreciates and likes. And for his attitude to reflect the attitude of the people and the team and to succeed in the way that he has, it's just one of those things I think that brings pretty much everyone except the most stupid diehard football you know, antagonists, brings everybody together. And I was del- I'm not really into footy anymore, but... Even I was delighted that they won it and delighted to see it as well. Yeah, and you sense when, when something like that happens. And I, I heard a couple of people locally. I mean, I live down in Essex now. Um, I heard a couple of people locally going, what's the big deal? Because there was fireworks set off here just after full time. And it was someone put on a local group on Facebook, what, why on earth are people setting off fireworks? And my partner, she put Liverpool have just won the league. And she got all kinds of abuse from people around there going, why are you setting off fireworks? <laughs> when I'm, I'm not, but I'm just giving you a reason as to why. Um, we've now got a flag hanging out the window and stuff like that. We've really got into it for the kids. And people don't understand why what this means, why this is so important to um, the people of Liverpool and Liverpool fans. I, I, especially now, um, it's felt like we've had everything thrown at us to stop us within the league. Um, we, we've overcome probably the best quad ever assembled in football in, in this club of Manchester City team. We've overcome them and left them by completely by the wayside. Um, we've managed to you know, overcome coronavirus, which loads of people were joking at one point. The, that's the one thing that's going to stop Liverpool winning the title. And at one point, it did actually feel like that was going to be the case. And in a where we've had three months of mainly despair and everything being turned upside down, to finally have something to celebrate just felt so good. And yeah, it's. I mean, I, I wish I was still in the Northwest because of it, because I... I don't know, obviously, everyone's in lockdown. I don't know if you felt where you are, even out of the city, that there's been almost like um, an uplifting attitude in the last few days or anything like that. But that's where I am, even. When you see other Liverpool fans, you like, you've got where you, there's like a knowing nod and things like that. And you see, everyone seems to be a bit happier. It has that transformative power, I think. Cause, and like I say, there's always a few who won't get on board because they're far too tribal. But for yeah. most people, it's an uplifting experience. And yes, I think it has been a lift for the country. It certainly feels that way to me. Yeah. And the other reason I wanted to bring it up, I wasn't going to originally because it is football. It doesn't really fit in overall with what we generally talk about. But the one reason I wanted to bring it up is a few years ago, probably not long before... Um, Jurgen Klopp took over actually I was in a very dark place mentally and I was really contemplating ending my own life um, it was just before my daughter came around and things like that but I was in a very very dark place but then 
one of the things I think with Jurgen Klopp and seeing the upturning with how Liverpool were playing, there was a, a sense of, do you know what? We might win the title one day under this guy again. And I want to see that happen. And it kept me going. And then that got me thinking recently when I looked at those moments. And this is what the power power sport has that I don't think many other things have is they can bring you from the brink in, in other ways because it is tribalistic, but that tribalism that you see is also a community. And a lot of football clubs, doesn't matter where their politics are and things like that, whether, you know, certain clubs are more towards the right or, you know, like Liverpool where they are such a left-wing club, it's, you know, I'm surprised they play anyone on the right wing of a football pitch. It's it's that community and some, it always drags you back and the supporters, other supporters, fellow supporters will have your back and they will help you in some way. And the clubs do that as well. And the sense of what can we see, what can we see happen, brought me, stopped me making those final, probably devastating moves towards wanting to end my own life. And that can be written off as, oh, that's a bit dumb or a bit sad that you, you know, you didn't kill yourself because of football. But at the same time, that's what it was. When you don't have much, or you feel like you don't have much going for you. I, I never want to say, like, I love my kids, I love my partner, and I never want to leave them. But as we all know, with mental health, you don't see things logically all the time. Um, but the fact that football has that way of bringing you back from something like that cannot be underestimated. There's not much that has that power to do so. and. For that reason, I will always defend sport, any sport, anything that gets people together in any way as a great thing. Um, and I will, I never understand the people who dismiss it just completely outright as football being such a bad thing. And this is bad or this creates these sort of people when it doesn't. You get like in every walk of life. You get that, your book club. If you were to go to every single book club in the world, I'm sure you would find someone who could start a fight there. I'll get drunk and kick <laughs> off and disagree and, and come across as a lout. Um, but it's these things that, that that are needed. And it's just, you cannot explain what these powers are that these things have, but they are needed and they can help you through the toughest of times. Yes, definitely. Completely agree. Yeah, uh, and it, as you say, it, there are other things that can do it for people. Um, I know that like comedy, like comedy shows helped my wife through some really tough times because, you know, how could she end her life when the next episode of Blackadder was coming out on Friday, that kind of thing. And I spoke to a lot of people uh, when I was volunteering for Samaritans who wouldn't give up their life because they were looking after their pet and their pet loved them. And yeah, having something that, is there that could be thought of as some people as trivial, but is perpetual and has its own value. It's so important. It's so important. And to have that payoff after so many years of support, you know, of all that energy that you've put into it with other people as a, as a tribe and have it pay off is brilliant. And if you're going to talk about tribes, the Liverpool fan tribe is, is one of the best ones you can think of because, you know, they have a great reputation and, deservedly so and just to finish off there are other football clubs and you may support them as well so don't stop listening if you support man united please yeah <laughs> you know when i was into footy i was a man U fan so i'm i probably hated in the nation 
we'll cut there we'll we'll cut there show's over <laughs> yeah you just just cut all my dialogue from this episode it'll just be you speaking i want to end on a positive for for me and for everyone involved with this site i got a message through that advised us that we have been listed as a resource on the JAGX space for mental health and neurodiversity. It's an internal resource for them, but we are now a source and people can, uh, you know, are obviously listening to the podcast and it is having an effect. And it, it really knocked me for six that, that something like that is happening. Uh, but it's, yeah, for me, just anyone who's, everyone who's involved with the, po with the podcast, the site in any way, shape or form, that obviously a thank you to show that what we're doing is having a good effect. But yeah, just, just to sign off from it, as usual, you can get us on Discord if you want to chat about anything around mental health, around what's got just going on in the world, around video games or anything. Even if you just want to rant about something, someone will listen. You can obviously find us on Twitter, Instagram. I'm not going to lie, we're mainly on Twitter because I, I, I really don't get the whole social media thing with the others. And if you do want to support us, you'll find links to Coffee and Patreon. Uh, we'll look at working out how to do Patreon a bit better down the line so that you actually get some benefits from it if you do support us. But yeah, whatever you do, just try and stay as positive as possible. If you can't, there are people out there for you, especially us. But until next week, stay safe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>